courage and kindness, strength and gentleness, fortitude and tenderness, a father, a leader and a lifelong teacher, a comforter and a patient listener, a hero and a world changer, a gift from God above. Being a father is a high and holy calling. It is not only a blessing, but also a stewardship. Fatherhood is a precious opportunity and a divine responsibility because it is one of the many ways that God watches over all of us. A father is a protector and a provider, a hard worker and a family man, a role model and a faithful friend. And so from all of us to all of you, thank you to the fathers. Trinity Church. And once again, happy Father's Day, right? We don't want you to forget. Today is traditionally a day of uh, bacon, barbecuing, root beer, and here at Trinity Donuts. So I'm glad you could join us today and, and take time with us to remember um, our dads and uh, to reflect a little bit on what it means to be a dad. So today, I would like to share with you from the Bible some thoughts on what it takes to be what I would call a dynamic dad. Um, and what I mean by that is that is a dad who is intentionally significant uh, in his positive influence in the lives of his children, but also the lives of those that come within the embrace of his life. So we're not just talking about a dad who has physically had children come into his family. We're talking on a little bit of a broader scale of what God would have us do in terms of our mentoring and discipleship and, and recognize that uh, fatherhood um, is, is a broad topic. Now, I also, I also want to recognize this morning that uh, Father's Day can be a difficult day for some of us. Um, it doesn't take much of a glance around our world today to know that fatherhood is struggling a bit. There's a website called father.com. I was looking at it this week, and the uh, creators of this website have an organization that supports fatherhood. And and they said more than 20 million children live in a home without the physical presence of a father. And they went on to say that's about one out of every four kids in America today. Millions, they say, uh, more have dads who are physically present but emotionally absent. If it were classified as a disease, fatherlessness would be an epidemic worthy of attention as a national emergency. In short, fatherlessness is associated with most every societal ill facing our country's children. So it's clear that we need great dads. Um, the questions really, I think, for us this morning become, what does that look like to be the kind of dad that really intentionally impacts his kids? Uh, is such a thing even possible today in our culture, and, and how do we get there? So I'd like to begin this morning with Dick Hoyt. Uh, Dick Hoyt is a dad who ran the Boston Marathon 30 years in a row. I can't imagine doing it once. <laughs> and, and I was a runner in high school, but he's a rock of a man. He 
didn't do it, by the way, for his own glory. He didn't do it because it was on his bucket list of things to do. In fact, far from it, he did it because it brought a smile to his son's face, to Rick's face. And, and you may be very familiar with this story. They're called Team Hoyt. But I want to rehearse it with you a little bit this morning as to how it all started and what it was in his dad's heart, Rick's dad's heart, that prompted him to run over 26 miles 30 years in a row. How many of you men would just say, man, that's the kind of thing I can't wait to do, right? <laughs> 26 miles, 30 years in a row. It all began because Rick has a cerebral palsy and is quadriplegic. And um, when Rick was in high school, uh, his dad was about 40 years old at that time. And like most of us, when we get into our 40s and 50s, he was running one or two miles a week to stay in shape, right? Well, one day Rick came home from school and he had a flyer for a fundraising race. One of his fellow classmates in high school had uh, injured himself, broke his neck, diving into a swimming pool. And the other students were trying to raise money for the family, and so they sponsored this five-mile run. And, and Rick uh, said to his dad, Dick, hey, would you push me in my wheelchair for this race? I want to help raise money for my, my classmate. And, and Dick agreed, but nobody expected them to finish the race, right? In fact, they kind of thought they would do one of these symbolic victory laps, and they would, you know, he'd push him down the street to the end of the street before the turn, turn around and come back. Everybody would applaud. What a valiant effort. But they didn't do that. They went all five miles. And their claim to fame was they came in second to last, but not last. <laughs> when Rick crossed the finish line with his dad, there was this huge smile on his face. And Dick noticed this was probably the biggest smile he'd ever seen on his son's face. They got home that night, and, and Rick went to his computer, and he typed out this sentence. He, he said, Dad, when we're running, I don't even feel like I'm handicapped anymore. And that got them started on Team Hoyt and the racing that they did for 30 years. So a few years later, they decided to do the Boston Marathon. This would be like one of the big races. And, and so... Unfortunately, at that time, the race organizers only gave a bib number to the participant, right? And, and what that meant for Dick in his 40s is that he would have to qualify at the pace for a 20-year-old, which is what Rick was at that time. So he couldn't qualify for a 40-year-old pace. He had to qualify for the 20-year-old pace. And, and they realized they needed to do some more training. So they did for a while, and then they finally ran in the Marine Corps Marathon, 26.2 miles, and they came in with a time of 2.41, which qualified them for the Boston Marathon. And so for that first year, they ran it together, and they were amazed to see how the crowd responded to them. And in fact, year after year, they would hear people saying, I come back to the Boston Marathon just to see you guys run the race. Nine years ago, they made their last Boston Marathon run. Eight years ago, they were both the grand marshals for the race. And two years ago, Dick passed away in 2021. One of his sons, Russell Hoyt, wrote about his dad, and I want you to hear his comments because they, they tie into this passage we're going to look at today in 1 Thessalonians 2. Russell Hoyt reflected on his dad's legacy, and he said, my dad would always say to my brother, Rick, you're the heart, I'm the body. I think the fact that my dad did this helped people to see Rick in a different way. They saw Rick as more of a person than just a person in a wheelchair. And I think that's what truly motivated my dad to put the effort in that he did. 
I think as somebody who truly was, you know, an amazing father, I think that was more important to him than anything. To be seen as someone who was able to help change the hearts and minds of people. People have told them that in countries where they've looked at people with disabilities different than they do here in America, they inspired people to allow people with disabilities to start to have experiences in their lives that they never would have had had they not met them. So I think that's a true legacy right there. This is what we would describe as a dynamic dad. Rick's dad saw a need in his son's life. He knew what it uh, meant to his child to meet that need, and he consistently worked at meeting that need for more than 40 years of his life. And it begs the question, what does it take to be that kind of dad to impact the lives of our children in that manner? And, and I would add, uh, the lives of other men and women around us today. Thankfully, the Bible has this amazing passage for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, would you open them to 1 Thessalonians 2? And we're going to take a look at what God has to say through the Apostle Paul for us about three simple actions that go into being a, a, a dynamic dad, someone who intentionally impacts the lives of his kids. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've brought us here this morning to worship you, to love each other well, and to hear the word of God. And Father, as we hear what Paul has to say to us, inspired by you this morning, in this passage, would you encourage our hearts? Father, we know that as dads, none of us is perfect. I will be the first to admit that. We all need to keep growing. But God, I'm so thankful you give us this target, this thing to aim at that says if we can just do these three simple things, it does make a difference. And even if our kids are grown and, and beyond the reach of our everyday practices, we can pray these things and know that you will work in the lives of our children. We can pray these actions over them and see them changed because your Holy Spirit is without limit. You are the God of the impossible. And so we pray that this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we do as dads? If we want to become more intentional, more connecting, more impactful. Well, first of all, I think we give them encouragement. That's one of my favorite words. But we give them encouragement and we, we tell them, you can do it. I believe in you. And we see that embedded in 1 Thessalonians 2. And let's look at verses 8 through 12. Paul writes, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Isn't that interesting? Earlier in the passage, Paul says, I have been a mother to you. And this is a great passage to go to on Mother's Day. But here he says, I have been like a father to you. I've dealt with you as I would my own children. But notice the next three words, the first of which is encouraging. And I think it's so important to notice up front that the context is not the nuclear family, right? These were men and women and young people 
whom he had met in Thessalonica, but they weren't his physical kids. They weren't his physical offspring. They were individuals in whom he was investing intentionally. And he says, I've been like a father to you guys, which tells us this morning, this is something all of us can engage in, in all of our relationships as we mentor and disciple and help others grow. So these three actions we're looking at this morning really are much more global than just within the physical nuclear family. And it also helps us to realize that if our relationship with our dad has not been healthy, it's not been beneficial, there's still much here that we can benefit from because there are others around us who can act in these manners toward us. Notice, too, in this passage that he shares, first of all, with them good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And he's saying to them, there is a life transformation you can enter into. And it comes directly from God who loved us so much and gave his son for us. So he starts them with the source of new life, but then he shares with them his own life as well. So powerful. He is not the typical conference speaker with a set of well-honed notes, presents the message, and then gets on his jet and moves to the next speaking engagement. This is not the Apostle Paul. He loved the gospel, but he also loved them so much, he says, I am going to share with you myself. Relationally, I'm going to befriend you. I'm going to care about you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to encourage you because people were valuable to him. And so he toiled. Look at the passage again. Look at verses 9 and 10. The expressions of his work for them. He says, I'm totally dedicated to loving you. I am choosing to do what is right and virtuous and clean before you. He says, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil, our hardship. We worked night and day, day shift, night shift, in order not to be a burden to anyone. Making his tents, making sure they didn't have to pay for his everyday expenses. While we preach the gospel of God to you, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, that means set apart, dedicated, righteous, we're doing the right thing, blameless, we have virtue and integrity, we were among you who believed, and all of this is described as the actions of a father. He was a Dick Hoyt to every single one of them. So how does that happen in our life? What does it mean to encourage others? Well, if you look into the Greek New Testament, you find this word parakaleo, which simply means to come alongside of someone, uh, get close to them, and call out to them cheerfully. Call out to them cheerfully. That is, dynamic dads are verbally positive. We are vocally earnest encouragers of our kids. One of the times that sticks in my mind with my dad, and he's been uh, with the Lord now for three years, uh, finally succumbed to cancer after almost 35 years of it, But I remember when I was in high school running cross-country, and we had been on a family vacation for two weeks. The last two weeks of training, I wasn't there. We were off, living off the fat of the land, on a vacation. And I came back, and the first meet of my sophomore year was at Escondido High School. And it always started in the stadium, in the track. You'd run a lap, quarter-mile lap around the track, and then you would go under the highway overpass. So you're going under the highway, and then you would take a hard right up Bone Break Hill. That was my coach's name, Coach Bonebreak, literally his name. That should have warned me off right there. Coach Bonebreak, I am taking wrestling, you know, or something else. 
But every day at practice, and especially the last two weeks, we would have to run that hill, a quarter-mile hill, at a very steep level. We would have to sprint up the hill ten times at the end of every practice. And he would say to us, I want you to pass people on the hill. I wasn't doing that the last two weeks. I was having a great time on vacation. So I came back, and I went around that first lap, got to Bone Break Hill, headed up the hill. The rest of the 3.1-mile course was just hills and wooded, wooded areas and trees and and uh, finally came back to that underpass. And by that point, I had a stitch in my side. My lungs were burning. My legs were jelly. And I realized I'm going to be maybe in the middle to the end of the pack. Well, my dad had been sitting in the stands waiting for me. And he's watching one person after another finish the race. And he's going, Doug's not there. So he got out of the stands, ran down to the underpass. And as I came out of that underpass, he was there. And he's applauding me. Come on, Doug. Come on. You can do it. Let's go. You can do it. Don't give up. I passed three guys on the way to the finish line to get 26th out of 40, right? I was not a stellar athlete in high school. But it reminded me of the fact that encouragement makes this incredible difference in our lives if we will simply be present and verbally encouraging. And it's within the context of this verbal encouragement that we actually gain the permission, dads, to correct and to change and to refine the lives of our kids. If that encouragement is absent, what we try to do to help them grow with our correction and, and, and uh, encouragement to, to change and be better just doesn't work. So how do we encourage our kids? Let me give you five simple things this morning that as a dad, any one of us can do. So number one, and they're on your notes if you have them in front of you, number one is learn their shape and encourage them in it. So this is an acronym that's been around for a while. How many of you have heard of SHAPE? Good, you're going to learn something this morning. SHAPE is an acronym for the five things that God invests in every person. So every, every Christian who is following Jesus Christ has this shape within them. The first one is simply spiritual gifts. That's the S, spiritual gifts. The Word of God tells us in four different places that each of us has a spiritual gift, at least one, that we received the moment we came into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And interestingly, it's one of the three places in the Bible where the Trinity is said to be involved. Where the Holy Spirit, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit distributes them. He chooses our gift. Verse 5 says there are different kinds of service places, places to serve, but the same Lord Jesus. Jesus actually tells us, here's where I want you to serve and use that gift. And it goes on to say in verse 6, there are different kinds of workings or empowerment but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same, the same God the Father at work. So God empowers it. Jesus places it. The Holy Spirit gives it. And our kids, if they have come to know Jesus Christ, have a gift within us. What is their gift? By the way, if you're not sure where to go, look in, in the Bible. Four passages, easy to remember. They're all multiples of four. So Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 has the list of gifts, at least the basic list. So that's the S. What is their gift? Number two, what is their heart? What is their passion? What do they really love to do? Do they like to take things apart and see how they work, which was my gift as a kid. My mom hated it. Took everything apart and never put it back together, right? But I learned how it worked. Is that their passion? 
Is art their thing? Do they excel at sports? Uh, is cooking or baking important to them? Do they love to take on leadership when you go on vacation? Or do they like to serve behind the scenes? What's their passion in life? H. A, what are their natural abilities? Everyone is born with natural abilities. Are they good thinkers? Do they really look carefully at things and scrutinize them? Um, do they have good hand-eye coordination? Can they memorize easily? Do they make friends naturally? What are the abilities? Are they good at making friendships? P, personality. Everyone is different. I like to use the animals. Are they a lion, a beaver, a golden retriever, or an otter? Right? You can pretty well figure out what they are. Lion is this dynamic leader. The, uh, the beaver is the busybody. He's always doing, organizing. She's always creating structure out of life. Golden retriever, well, golden retriever, right? <laughs> you can have my sandwich. I love you. <laughs> you know, the kind of thing. And we have kids like that. Or are they the otter, the social one who just loves and looks for a party? What's their personality? E, experiences that have molded them. God never wastes an experience. Have they moved a lot over the years as a military family? Do they have disabilities that challenge them? Are they children from a divorced home? Have they traveled internationally? Um, are they having a tough time in school? Are they an only child or a child of a large family? What are the experiences of life that God has given them? So these things shape their lives. And we need to know them as dads. We need to know them as people who will mentor others. Number two. Lean them in the direction of God's plan. Just keep reminding them, God made you. He has a purpose for you. There's something out there exciting he wants you to do. To use your gifts, your abilities, your talents, your passions. Number three, look for actions um, to complement efforts to applaud. Things that aren't perfect. Anybody perfect here yet? I'm not. And our kids aren't. But look for the things in their life that you can compliment genuinely and applaud their efforts. Remind them that life is made up of one step at a time. Nobody's perfect. Number four, listen for those sighs of discouragement or the silence of disappointment or worry. Our children often become discouraged and frustrated with life and their success at living it. So listen for those things. Understand they're still maturing. They can make mistakes. Look, at, look for the moment of the sad eyes, the acting out in anger or fear, and, and get close to them and take time to listen. And then number five, let them know you love them and believe in them no matter what. No matter what. Tell them that verbally, often, every morning, every night. I grew up in a family where we didn't say I love you a whole lot. It took getting into my wife's family to really hear that a lot. I knew my dad loved me, but I didn't hear it all the time. So express your thoughts to them. I like what John Eldridge says in his book, You Have What It Takes. He says, in the end, the most important issue is love. It always has been, always will be. More than anything else, your son and daughter long to know that you love them, truly love them, that you delight in them. It's really the core desire of any human heart. You might remember that day when Jesus was baptized by his cousin John, John writes, as he came back out of the water, God the Father spoke, I mean literally out loud so everyone could hear. And he did that only three times in the entire life of Christ, so it must have been an important moment. And what did the Father have to say? This is my much-loved Son 
in whom I am well pleased, Matthew 3, 17. In other words, Jesus, you are my delight. I am very proud of you. You have what it takes. God the Father expressed his delight in his son, and this is just amazing, John writes. There's our model. That's the basic message we too are meant to give our children. I delight in you. How easy it is to try to correct without encouragement. And God says, no, start the other way around. Encourage, and that gives you the privilege of correcting. So three things happen when we encourage them. Number one, they gain hope. My dad believes in me. My dad believes in me. For boys, it says, you have what it takes. For girls, it says, you are worth fighting for. I believe in you. Number two, they develop confidence. You know, I actually believe I can do this. I can finish the race well. And they experience joy. Things aren't as bad as I thought they were. So offer them encouragement. Number two, we can give them comfort. Now, this is a very similar term in the Greek language, but it's different in one particular aspect. So look at verse 11, uh, the middle part. He says, I dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging that verbal affirmation and comforting. This is the NIV, by the way. Comfort is this Greek word, paramutheomai, and it means to come alongside. So that's similar, right, to what we're talking about. But it offers soothing, consoling words that end in a call to action. That's the difference. So it's, it's encouraging, but it's also consoling, and it's saying you have to do something with this. It's very much like encouragement, but it adds activity, an emphasis on activity. So it uplifts and then gives a push on the butt. Get going. You can do this. One of the young pastors I was mentoring, he's now the lead pastor at our uh, last church, said to me at one point, you know, my dad has always said to me, son, remember, action removes fear. Action removes fear. So go do something. Don't just sit there feeling afraid. Go do something. That's what comfort is. And in fact, you see this at the end of Thessalonians. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 11 through 18. Just Move a few pages over, and you're going to see these same two words that he uses here. He says, therefore, encourage parakaleo one another, verbally, up close. Build each other up, just as, in fact, you were doing. Now, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, now here's the next word. Warn those who are idle. Encourage. That's the word comfort here. That's paramutheomai. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Listen to the emphasis on activity. Do you see it here? Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul calls us out, and he says, encourage each other, comfort each other, console, encourage toward action. And as dads, we need to do the same to make our children feel better, but also to be better, to do better. Rick Husband, another Rick, was the husband uh, of a family of, of two, his wife and two kids, a boy and a girl. He was the captain of the downed space shuttle Columbia which you remember burned up on re-entry back in 2003, I think it was. He's an example of this kind of dad, the comforting, consoling, calling to action kind of dad. 
So we know after the Columbia broke up on its re-entry, there was a memorial service, and Steve Green, the musician, was invited to speak at that memorial service. And, uh, and he told how he and Rick became good friends, right? So Rick and his wife had come to one of Steve Green's concerts, and afterwards they went up and they got in line to meet Steve Green, and, and uh, Rick is just saying, hey, I really love your music, God of Wonders, and all these other songs, and, and his wife whispers to Steve, by the way, he's an astronaut. And Steve got so excited about that, he started talking to Rick about space and NASA and all these other things, and the people around him were hearing it, and they soon lined up to get a signature from Rick and not Steve. <laughs> Thus their friendship began. Prior to the Columbia's launch, the wife of each of the astronauts or the spouse of each of the astronauts was said, you can pick a song to wake your spouse up one morning on this journey. 17-day journey. And so Rick's wife selected Steve Green's God of Wonders. And at the memorial service for Rick, Steve played a tape of Rick talking to Mission Control the morning his song played. And here's how it went. Mission Control, good morning. That was a song for Rick. It was God of Wonders by Steve Green. Rick, good morning. Thank you. We can really appreciate the lyrics of that song up here. We look out the window and see that God truly is a God of Wonders. So at his memorial service message, Steve gave one concluding example of Rick's commitment to comforting, consoling, and calling his kids to action. He said that prior to the launch, Rick had recorded, video recorded, 34 devotional uh, studies, videos for his children, 17 for his daughter, 17 for his son, so that every day while he was gone, in the morning, they would hear him talking to them about life and God and taking risks and opportunities. And he wanted his kids to be encouraged and comforted during the time that he was away, so much so that his actions called them out to live for Jesus. And those are videos that they still have from their dad to play and play again. So how do we do this? How do we comfort our kids? How do we encourage and console them and move them toward actions? Well, first of all, you just point them in a positive direction. So when our children or the people we mentor get discouraged or, or they feel um, that they have failed and they need new perspective, a new direction, we remind them who, of who they are in Christ. You are made in the image of God. We remind them that we love them without condition or ifs, thens. We, we remind them of how God has made them, their shape. Um, we remind them that failure is never permanent. We encourage them to do things that they can't think they can do. Last night, my wife and daughter took me up to Oak Glen to the Riley Dad's Heritage Barbecue. Tri-tip. Barbecue chicken. Twice-cooked baked potatoes. It was a great time dancing and hearing singing, tomahawk throwing, arrow shooting kind of evening for a dad, right? It was all family seating. Three big long tables. So we sat down at one of the tables and across from us was a dad with two little girls, I think they were three and two, a little boy who was just seven months, and, and the wife. And we're sitting there talking to them over the playing of the, the country western music, and, and uh, I said, hey, great to be a dad, good to see you tonight. And he goes, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, my wife and I have talked about having you know, kids, we're going to have as many kids as we can afford, and then one more. 
And I looked at the wife and she goes. <laughs> but during the square dancing time, the dosi do, there was that dad out there with his three-year-old daughter. And she's never done that before. In fact, he's from the LAX area. He'd never done that before. But he's out there dancing with her. And he's saying to her, come on, we can do this. You know, we can do -si do And it was so much fun. I'm, I'm just sitting off to the side watching all of this. But it was so much fun to see him saying to her, you can do this. We can do this together. Don't get discouraged. There were times she had no idea what to do. She was lost in that sea of people. And he kept reminding her, you're my daughter. You can do this. You have what it takes. And he kept calling her to dancing with him. So we can participate then was needed and desired. He didn't send her out there on her own. He went out there with her. And we can pull back enough to, to let them move ahead on their own as they grow and they master these skills. So give them encouragement. You can do it. I believe in you. Give them comfort. Don't give up. Keep at it. And provide them with an example. I'm doing it. So can you too. Look at the last part of verse 12. As a father encourages and deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and ultimately into his glory. Paul uses the Greek verb here for martyr. How often do we say to our kids, be a martyr for Jesus? Live your life in such a way that people are going to react to the way you live. And interestingly, he, he says here, this is how I have lived, and I am urging you to also be a witness in our world today. Look at the word, the word witness. It says to take a stand and give evidence for something we have seen, heard, or experienced. So it's, essentially, it's, it's a witness to what God is doing in my life, but it's a witness the world is not going to welcome. And it ultimately ends up producing martyrs, witnesses. Dads, we can't encourage our kids to do something we don't do. I mean, we can, but it doesn't work, right? What they need from us is that example of being out in front and saying to them, hey, hey, we're all going to church today. Hey, we're going to share a, a meal with this guy who's in desperate need or a woman. We're going to go and help somebody move. We're going to get involved in a ministry in the church. We're, we are going to do this together. I'm not just dropping you off at church. I'm not just saying to you, that's good for you, and I've got my other hobbies I want to be paying attention to. It's No, it's, it's we are living sold out for Jesus, and we invite our kids to have that same experience from God that we can witness to and speak about. Senator John Ashcroft uh, has a book that he's written called Lessons from a Father to His Sons. And in it, he talks about one of the all-time great NBA players, uh, Michael Air Jordan. And he writes, in 1997, Michael Jordan, indisputably the leading player in the NBA at that time, for over a decade, was never the highest paid player. When asked why he did not do what many other players do, hold out on their contracts until they get more money, Michael replied this, I've always honored my word. I, want, I went for security. I had six-year contracts, and I always honored them. And people would say, you're underpaid. But when I signed on the dotted line, I gave my word. Three years later in 2000, we had a number of very highly visible players renege on their contracts, right? I want more money before the next season began, and a reporter came back to Michael and said to him, tell me again about being underpaid. 
And Michael said, look, it's this way. If my kids see their dad breaking a promise, how can I continue to train them to keep their word? By not asking for a contract renegotiation, he says, it speaks volumes to my children. I tell them, you stand by your word even when it goes against you. And his silence became a roar. That's what God calls us to as dads. Don't just push your kids in life to live for God. Go do it yourself in such a way that you become that witness. And, and am I perfect in any of these ways? My family will tell you quite quickly, I'm not. I'm not there yet. And, and I would dare say none of you dads are there yet either. But this is the encouragement for us. Be a dad who encourages your children with words like, I believe in you, you can do it. Who comforts and consoles our kids and calls them into action. Hey, don't give up. Keep at it. Keep doing the right thing. And then lastly, he says, look, I am doing it. So can you. Let's live for Jesus. And when we do this, our, our children hear and feel and see what it means to love God and what it means to love others. And it also gives us, all of us, that opportunity to say, in my mentoring relationships, in my discipleship with others, I can still do these same things because that's what the Thessalonians were called to as the spiritual children of God. Hey, I want to end uh, this morning with something really special for us. We have spiritual fathers here at this church. We call them elders who seek to embody shepherding, who seek to embody these principles. And I'll be honest with you, none of them are perfect, past, present, or even future. But God has called them to this. Remember here, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 18. I ask you, brothers, as you encourage one another and build each other up, respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So this morning, we're going to take time to say goodbye to two of our elders who are coming off of the board. Uh, that's Dan Fleming, who uh, is actually going to be moving and taking up a new medical um, specialty uh, in obesity studies over in Ventura. And then also Doug Dupree, who is just coming off the board and is remaining among us, but will be taking a break. And then we're going to also welcome two elders who are coming onto the board. Uh, Scott Strum, who has been on the board previously, and uh, Eldon Reinders, who just can't get enough punishment, you know. <laughs> so he's, he's coming back onto the board for another term. But would you take a minute and welcome them with me? We want to recognize them this morning. I believe it's a great practice for us as a church to say thank you, right? We teach our kids to, to do that, right? Please and thank you. And uh, as I have had the opportunity this past year to be your interim lead pastor and to meet with these guys for their four and five hour Tuesday night meetings, man, but they get a lot done. And it has been wonderful to see how they have really hunkered down and said, what are the challenges we're facing as a church? How can we address them as shepherds? How can we be humble and just seek to do the will of God here? And they have done, I believe, a great job in the last year. It has not been easy. It's been challenging, as we all know. But I think they've done a good job, and we want to take a minute and uh, just give them an award, uh, which I hope we can perpetuate over the years. 
Uh, but this says, Elder Appreciation Award for Faithful Service, Dan Flaming. The shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, be shepherds of God's flock, not because you must, but because you are willing and eager to serve. And when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, uh, the years 2018 to 2023. So Dan, thank you so much for being one of our elders. It was so nice to get on the board and find other Dougs. <laughs> so this, this is a guy I call Chief because, uh, you know, we got so confused. We'd say at an elder meeting, hey, Doug, and we all go, what? Uh, so this is Chief. Doug Richards is Doc. I am PD, Pastor Doug, on our elder board uh, meetings. Uh, but, Doug, thank you so much for being such a faithful shepherd. You have taught me a lot, and uh, I am just so thankful for you. Uh, he was on the board 2020 to 2023, so Doug, again, we appreciate your service. Thank you. Here are the guys who are gluttons for punishment. <laughs> now, seriously, it is such a delight to have Scott joining the board. Thank you for approving him and for approving Eldon to uh, take another run at it. Um, these meetings are long. They require a lot of pre-study, a lot of work afterwards. These guys are busy men, uh, not just in personal life, but on uh, the church board level. So I asked them, because these meetings are so long, what is your favorite candy to sustain you in those meetings? And they both wrote, wrote back dark chocolate. So we have some Ghirardelli here, and uh, we also have some Brookside dark chocolate. I don't know which of you likes uh, acai and which of you likes the, uh, the caramel, but would you take just a minute and welcome these guys to the board? And before we're done, I would like to invite up any current elders, any former elders to come up, and we're going to lay hands on these two men and pray God's empowerment and God's guidance and wisdom. And I'll apologize to you current elders and former ones. I didn't tell you we were going to do this, but we would love to have you come on up and, uh, and pray with us as we uh, put our hands and our prayers on these men. So come on up at this point. We're going to gather right around them, so Doug and Dan, if you can step behind them. Just gather around there. Thank you, guys right over here. Come on over. I'm going to be on the very outside. Before we pray, would you take a moment and thank all of these men for their years of service? I think they deserve that honor. Let's pray. Father God, you have in your wisdom and love for us given us this role of elder uh, to be given uh, the responsibility to be a shepherd under the uh, shepherding of Jesus Christ, to uh, be given the privilege of leadership, uh, Father, which is a gift of servanthood. Really, we know if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to be the servant of all. And God, we want to recognize that that is a challenging thing to do. Uh, it, it puts ourselves out in front. It means that we 
are uh, going to have to really be men of prayer more, men of the word, uh, men of humility and relationship. And God, uh, we just want to thank you. I want to thank you for all these guys who have done that. And Father, uh, how uh, you have used the work uh, that they have done, and, and both the good and the, and the struggle of it, to produce uh, good in the life of this church and uh, in the future that you want to see happen in the life of this church. So, Father, we pray for Scott today. Uh, we pray for Eldon, that you would help them to walk close to you, that they would listen for the voice of the Spirit. This is the way, walk in it. That they would be willing to hear the thoughts and questions of others and be able to uh, carefully consider what is it that God wants us to do and to be gentle in the way that they lead, but also to be courageous, Father, and willing to take the risks that you call us to. So bless them, Father, encourage them. I thank you for all these men and the years that they've given us. We ask that in the name of Jesus, you would make Trinity more and more the church you want it to be in this community for the good of the kingdom of God and the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, men.